Into the wild I'll go and into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Into the wild I'll go Into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldana. It's been a wild freedom In honor of Black Maternal Health Week, we have doula turned radical birth keeper, Olivia Bowens from Baltimore, Maryland on the show today. Olivia is a holistic birth educator, and today she's going to walk us through the intersection of racism and healthcare and how it directly and obviously negatively impacts black women and their families. Olivia will also provide historical context of racism in OB-GYN and how that links to institutional racism in healthcare today. Join us in an important conversation around epigenetics, implicit bias, the importance of women seeing themselves reflected in their birth team, and to learn about the far too often subhuman treatment of black women and their babies in the system. Olivia also shares how free birth is a potential solution for many black women today. Glad you're here. I'm glad we're doing this. And yeah, we are here to um, have a really big, important, much needed discussion um, for an important week. This week that we will be publishing this is going to be the, or is the Black Maternal Health Week. And so I thought this would be a perfect time to bring you on and begin to unpack some of this conversation that I think a lot of people, you know, might see like memes of online, but I want to have a deeper discussion with my guest today, Olivia Bowens from Her Holistic Path, um, so that people have more context and a more in-depth understanding of why Black black maternal health matters and um, yeah, why we're here to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a lot of surface level conversations, so I'm definitely looking forward to diving deep today. All right. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your your kind of orientation to the um, the commitment that you have behind talking around this and teaching around this and leading workshops around this. Yeah. Tell tell our audience a little bit about who you are. Yeah. So I am a mother of two. And with my first daughter, um, I 
didn't really spend too much time preparing for that pregnancy or that birth. And so when I got pregnant with my second baby, I spent a whole lot of time researching and reading. And I ended up at six months pregnant, kind of having this epiphany of like, oh, I think this is my calling. I think I want to be a birth worker of some sort. And so I ended up at a local nonprofit organization in DC and that place is called Mama Toto Village. And that is where I got my training to be a perinatal community health worker, which is kind of like a doula, but it has a whole lot of added um, information and training to it so that you can support people who are typically like in lower income situations or need housing or different issues like that. Mm -hmm. And so it was then during that training that I learned about Black maternal mortality. I learned about um, just the different aspects of Black birth that are really different when you're treating someone, not treating them, but walking with them through their pregnancy. And you know that there is this statistic of Black women dying four to five times more than white women, um, you kind of have to think a little bit differently and there's a little bit more weight on your shoulders. Um, so yeah, after that training, I, I pretty much became obsessed with figuring out why black women are dying because most of the time you will see it's because of racism. And for me, that wasn't a thorough enough explanation mm-hmm. um, because we, of course, definitely have racism um but I needed to understand how is it functioning because if I can understand how it functions then I can come to some possible solutions but I can't just ask people to stop being racist so I did a lot of research um and I just spent time sitting with myself really talking with um, the women in my family, reading books and and continuing to just dig away at it. And so I was finally able to, yeah, kind of come to some conclusions. And so started making videos about it, started talking about birth on my platform. And yeah, here we are where this year I'm I'm holding workshops about Mm -hmm. it. Good. Right. Because I feel like what we see and what you kind of hear in the birth world is that fact that you named that black women are four to five times more likely to die than their white counterpart. And yeah, we hear about, oh, systemic racism, but then what, right? So then what, what is that? How does that actually apply? How does it actually um, get experienced in the body? Why would that affect a black woman's health, you know, how does it actually show up? And then also what does it look like, you know, from the, from the hospital's lens? I remember learning a long time ago or hearing that this mortality rate was unrelated or untied to the socioeconomic status of a black woman. Mm-hmm. It took me a couple years to really feel like I was beginning to understand that. It also partially took me um, being with Black women in the system and watching um, often how different they were treated. You know, so that was that was my own helpful context. But I'd love to kind of pause there because I don't think this is widely understood. Um, and that should stop you in your tracks if this is the first time you're hearing that, right? That 
that, you know, to our listeners, that this mortality rate in Black women is untied, unrelated to their socioeconomic status, which is probably not what we would assume. So could you kind of explain Mm -hmm. that a little bit? Yes, and it's such an important it's such an important aspect to bring up. And this is normally where I start because um, throughout history, it's it's very common for Black people to be blamed for their own health issues, their own social issues and community issues. We have been blamed for these things. But when you look at the issues that Black women are facing, and it's not just in birth, we have like disparities in higher rates of infertility, uterine fibroids, endometriosis. You look at like whatever issue, whatever whatever health issue is happening, Black women typically are dealing with it more. Hmm. And because we have this racial history, there are certain stereotypes and kind of knee-jerk reactions that people have, even if it's not on purpose. And that's one of them is that, well, it's because, you know, that must be all the black women that live in the hood or all the black women that live in the ghetto. Right. Right. That must be those women Mm -hmm. who aren't taking care of themselves and don't have access to it. Right. To the to the quality care. And that is a factor. Mm -hmm. Right. There are some women um, both in the black community and the white community and all communities that have. Um, low income issues, housing issues, things of that nature. But that's not why we're seeing this huge disparity. And it's actually, it's noted that a Black woman who has a college degree and lives in an affluent area is still more likely to die than a white woman who hasn't even finished high school. So I think the first thing we have to do when we look at this issue is kind of put our ego down and be willing to to play with different information that's coming in because the knee-jerk response is yeah that's you know all the stereotypes about black women not taking care of themselves or being overweight or not eating well or whatever that's not the explanation Mm. in the what also stands out to me about that part is that the with those two women let's say a black woman who has a college degree and is in a higher socioeconomic status, she's definitely going to a different hospital than the poor white woman. She's definitely like guaranteed, I'm pretty sure that she would be going to a different hospital and that her death rates would still be higher. That really strikes me because the hospital you would think would have a lot to do with it. And of Mm -hmm. course it does. Yeah, you know what yeah. I'm saying? I definitely understand what you're saying. And when I think about it, either way, that Black woman is not going to be as safe because you. I think about the culture and the feeling that I get when, when I've been to hospitals that are kind of in more affluent areas where they primarily serve white women who have a certain amount of money or their partner makes a certain amount of money. And the feeling that you get when you walk into these hospitals, um, you already feel very othered. You feel like you're not really supposed to be here. You don't fit in here. Um, You don't see yourself reflected in the staff. You don't see yourself reflected really anywhere. 
Um, and it's kind of funny because amongst the black community, I would say it's not a joke, but it's just something that we know when you go to these institutions, most of the time you see the black people there as the janitors or the people who are serving in the cafeteria, but you don't see them as the OBs or even the nurses all of the time. No, the most you're going to get is like the virtue signaling posters that have the attractive light skinned, yeah. you know, black, black man on that, but they're not actually integrated into the exactly, hospital. Exactly. And so even when you look at going to a, a hospital that may be in a lower uh, socioeconomic status demographic, um, those places you may fare a little bit better because those places might have programs in place, you know, and they may have um, more funding for certain things. But yeah, it's it's I can't say that any any hospital in any location really is a safe place for black women at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and also I, but like my whole thing is like hospitals aren't safe for any women, right? I'm seeing white women get raped and mutilated and tortured, but there is a unique, I have observed a unique level of mistreatment or it like looks a certain way with black women. It looks like being ignored, withholding medication, you know, the drug testing, like there's certain, just from my own little lens of experience, there's certain ways that the hatred shows up that does feel unique from my. Oh yeah. It's definitely unique. And it's almost like the difference between it's, I would say there's a difference between a medical person who has been trained in a certain way and they're already kind of emotionally detached, they're already operating in this very allopathic mindset. And so they're approaching, you know, their their white patient with that mindset. That's totally different than them approaching their black patient. And although it may be unconscious, they're approaching them with almost a a disdain, a level of irritation, uh, a level of ugh, just um, it's almost like it's almost like black women are treated in a subhuman way, and I would actually say they are treated in a subhuman way, and that's something that it stems straight back from slavery. But we're not having the conversations with OBs or midwives or even doulas about, hey, um, historically, you know, white people have treated black people in this way. And so when you look at how we how we carry memories in our genetics and how we carry um, even just how we learn things that we understand about our culture and our society, that's all operating in the background. That's all operating in the subconscious. And so, yeah, they're they're treating Black women differently. And that's where we kind of get into the conversation about racism and breaking down what does racism actually look like? It looks like withholding medicine. People in the emergency room 
Black people are like statistically getting less pain medication in the emergency room. Black children are statistically getting less pain medicine in the ER. I experienced this myself after I had a surgery and I was begging, like, you guys just put two needles, two screws in my foot. I can feel it. I need more drugs, please. And I was treated in a very subhuman way. I felt like I was being treated like an animal. I was not being taken seriously. I was just being kind of roughed around. So, yeah. Yeah. So let's kind of tie that together a little bit more around, could you articulate just a bit more about how the, the, so basically what we're saying is what we've already seen around online, what's already feels like a first layer of kind of <clears throat> surface understanding is black women are more likely to die in the system than white women. And we hear because of racism, okay, but you wanted more, you wanted to really understand um, how does that actually look? And, you know, again, naming that it's not related to socioeconomic status, um, you know, that does kind of give more um, what's the word, like evidence to that point, right? Like it has to, it has to be this. Um, so tell us a little more about how your conclusions come to be. Yeah. So the first, the first kind of journey that I took when I saw, okay, it's not related to money and it's not related to location and it's not even really related to how well a woman takes care of herself during her pregnancy. It seems like all of these aren't a factor. So I really started to take a journey into what is and how is racism functioning on a subconscious level. And that's when I got into understanding implicit bias. And understanding implicit bias is huge because that's pretty much I feel like instead of saying racism, we could be using the word implicit bias and people would be getting a lot clearer of an understanding faster. But racism is that word is so charged. And so people will kind of automatically be like backing away from it. Like what? Racism? No. But implicit bias. Oh, yes. Because essentially what it means is there are certain um, belief systems that you can carry that are in opposition to what you may consciously believe or what you may uh, consciously be doing, right? So you may be in the position of a OB or a midwife, and you may have the intention to take care of your patients and to keep them safe, but then you may have a subconscious belief system that says, oh, Black women can tolerate more pain. And so then when a black woman cries out and says, I need help, you're subconsciously. And and that's the biggest thing to remember is that this is often happening on a subconscious level where doctors and nurses are making certain decisions where they're not prioritizing black women. They're not listening to them. They're not believing them. And therefore, what they might do with a white woman, they might jump up and spring into action and check on her and make sure she's okay. They're not going to do that with a black mother. Even on a core, what you're talking about with, with not, not seeing yourself represented in the staff, you know, we already know, and they've done all these, you know, interesting studies with children that 
that we are on a primal tribal level programmed to other people of different mm-hmm. races, right? On a really primal level. But how that on like the core, like you said, subconscious, this, it's so complicated, right? There's like so many layers that that weave into this and our unique history um, obviously is a massive aspect here as well. But I find that kind of interesting on the implicit bias, just like another check for the implicit bias. We already know that we're doing that. Like if someone, someone listening right now is like, well, I don't do that. We, we do, we do it to everyone who doesn't look like us. It's interesting because I don't, I don't even know that we can get out of that. It's like, how do we, how do we understand that and not let that influence or create less than care, obviously. And it's just one branch of a concept. Exactly. And I think this is kind of the moment where the idea of having an all black birth team or getting a provider that looks mm-hmm. like you and is in alignment with your values, right? Because you can't just get a black provider and say, okay, good. No, they you have to still vet them and make sure they're in alignment with you. But this is where we get into that conversation and it can be uncomfortable for some people because they feel like, well, why has it got to be all black? Why can't I help? I'm an ally. But on a, on a subconscious level, and when you talk about the subconscious, you're talking about the body because that's where the bodily processes happen, right? You don't consciously decide to make your heart beat. You don't consciously decide for your blood to pump through your veins and your food to digest. All of that is happening on a subconscious level. So when we look at pregnancy and birth, this is a very subconscious um, situation, a very subconscious process. And I think that when you can create a space that looks like you and reflects your experience, you automatically become more human. And I think that's kind of the issue is that when you have providers who are interacting with patients, with Black women, and they don't fully see them as human, right, which is, again, something, a carryover from slavery, then they're going to treat them as such. They're going to treat them subhuman. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's layers. Yeah. Cause I also think of just the, just the othering, like looking like the implicit bias of othering and that you don't see a white provider couldn't see subconsciously a black woman as his or her kin. Like what that does in these, in these systems of authority that are so primed for abuse, it's dangerous. Yeah. And that's the thing. The system is already, it already functions in a way that really promotes and condones obstetric violence and abuse. So it's like, it's the perfect storm Mm -hmm. for something bad to happen. And then even when you look at the whole idea of othering, right, and that concept of, okay, in a room full of white people, the Black person is the other, that has a detrimental effect when you live your life that way, being the other. That has a detrimental effect on your body, on your immune system, on the the primal functions of just being a human. 
Because you can't, because you can't relax. Exactly. Exactly. Right? Like you cannot relax if you don't feel a part of the tribe, so to speak. Again, on a really primal, like nervous system level, mm-hmm. it's, it, it like doesn't add up for your nervous system. Yeah. And I, I don't remember, I don't know the name of this study, but they looked at college kids and, and they measured their blood pressure throughout the day and then measured Whoa. it throughout the night. And, you know, obviously the white people, the white college kids, their blood pressure goes down in the night when they're winding down and going to sleep. And the black kids, their blood pressure stayed up. Mm-hmm. And it's little things like that where, again, we'll look at black people and say, well, y'all eat fried chicken and French fries and all that shit. And that's why y'all have high blood pressure. But it's like, no, you can find the healthiest person if they have grown up in a racist society then that's going to have an impact on their health. Um, Dr. Uh, Michael Liu, he looked at how even in the womb, uh, a Black baby is already dealing with health issues. They're already fighting for their health because if you're living inside of a womb that is experiencing racism, and it's, it's not, it doesn't have to be overt racism, and, and internalized as stress. Yes. Essentially, right? Like experiencing racism received in the body would be stress, fight or flight, adrenaline. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just something as simple as maybe like for this baby, maybe their mother works for a corporate organization where she's the only black woman in the room. Right. And so she has to kind of put on this double consciousness. She has to put on this this whitewashed version of herself. That is stressful. That is not a normal human um, a human way to live on a daily basis, year after year after year. And so then when you get down to that baby in the womb, you have to think their amniotic fluid has way more stress hormones, way more adrenaline, way more cortisol. And so then their neuroendocrine system cannot properly mature and they're being born essentially, like literally and physically into racism. So tell us about the epigenetic side of of your knowledge. I think it's a good, good lead in here. When I started to look at the history of birth in America, the first thing that I started to learn about was granny midwives and how throughout slavery and directly after slavery, the main people who delivered babies and um, did well women care and like, you know, the baby catchers of the communities were typically older black women who were slaves. And this was kind of like a mind explosion, like what? Because this doesn't look anything like what we're experiencing today. How did we get here? And so I just kind of followed the timeline and I realized that obstetrics and subsequently gynecology was in part, I would say probably 50 to 60% um, popularized and created and funded because of slavery. And the the slavery in the obstetrics and gynecology 
have a synergistic relationship. One of the main reasons why J. Marion Sims, who is touted as the father of obstetrics and gynecology, um, one of the main reasons why he even began to get into female reproductive health is because he was looking for a cure for an issue that slaves were experiencing. And that issue was really common. It was called a vaginal fistula. And it was really a product of slave women being continuously raped, um, forced to have children back to back to back every year. And so their wombs were, were just tired and couldn't couldn't do couldn't hold up with all of this breeding and all of this trauma and if you're not familiar with what a fistula is it's basically like a tear and it can be a tear in the vaginal wall that can be connected to the rectum or it can be connected to the um bladder and so this means you have slave women walking around who can't control their their excrements, their feces coming out, they're urinating on themselves and they're also just broken. And so that's a huge part of the history as to why obstetrics and gynecology even became a thing because they were like, we need to fix our property, essentially. Many people I respect and who talk on this issue have said, if, if you do nothing else, helping women get fistula surgery can be the number one most life-changing um, way to support women globally. Um, and that really stood out to me because it, it, it kind of, it highlights how big of a deal it is and how rampant it is, mm-hmm. right? To currently today, but I didn't know that, that it was linked to the birth of obstetrics. That's really interesting. And I'll also obviously completely make sense. Oh, okay. So, right. Because they're ruining their property by torturing them and raping them and breeding them. Um, they have this broken air quotes, you know, issue with their, with their female slaves. And so he turns to these other female slaves to try to figure out how to repair it. Yeah. So, so essentially, um, and J. Marion Sims was already, he was already into medicine. And actually, if you look at his story, he had kind of had some failed attempts with becoming a doctor. And it was, it was almost as if like, this was kind of like, okay, well, we'll, we'll try this out. <laughs> and we're curious because no one really, you know, at that time they thought having a womb made women like hysterical. They, they, they had no idea about the female reproductive system. So it was a great opportunity. And I put that in air quotes for them to go, you know, tinkering around and figuring things out. And yeah, we have J. Marion Sims actual medical records So we have the stories of slaves as young as 14, 15 years old who were made really to to endure experimental surgery um, for him to learn about the female anatomy and understand how to fix these issues. And these women were not given anesthesia. They were not giving numbing medicine. And what's really cruel about this story is in the details and again, this is where we get into things that you don't you don't hear about, you don't read about when you look up this issue of Black maternal mortality. J. Marion Sims, he didn't have any nurses, right? Because that was barely even a thing at the time. So he actually called on other Black women, other slaves, 
to hold down the woman that he was experimenting on, keep her still, because after all, she doesn't have any anesthesia. So she's going to be twisting and turning and screaming in pain and just hold her down, you know, basically until she passes out. And all in the name of medicine, right? Right. That is some thick ass shit. (laughs) That's as thick as it gets. It's as sick as it gets. It really is. And when I... Knowing that that you're going to be next, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? <sighs> yeah. And, and when you look into the different accounts and the different stories of these women, you know, it's all about, it's all about humanizing it. Because see, now in 2021, we look back at slavery like, oh, that was years and years and forever ago. Right. And, and we were, you know, it's almost as if we have detached and we're not willing to face the fact that, yes, those were our forefathers, right? Those are the people that we are related to. And those were people. They're not some different race. They're not animals. Those are people. And they're, that, that humanness is still that story is still within us today. And so. Well, and to think if anyone's thinking that like the torture of women is over, they haven't worked in the hospital. Oh, definitely not. On my whistleblower episode, an OBGYN was sharing that, um, especially for poorer women, they, you know, the, the, um, molestation under general anesthesia, the internal exam practice that they would, um, that she had actually seen, uh, residents crush ovaries in surgery. Have you ever listened to that episode? No, it's, it's gnarly. Yeah. You got to do it with a, with a stomach as it's, Oh gnarly. my God. But anyway, I mean, this is in her residency in New York in the 2000s. Yeah. You know, I mean, just exactly like you're saying, like we even want to other our past and yeah, we are not physically doing those things today, but we are in a society. Like we cannot think we aren't co-creating a society where there where people are torturing women. Yeah, exactly. And, and that, that animalistic nature um, it's infused into medicine. And this is what I explain to people when I talk about the hospital is that the foundation of like maternal health, the foundation of the idea of women going to hospitals, that is infused and built upon the ideas that Black women and women, just all women in general as well. Like there is definitely an encapsulated, unique, nuanced experience of how black women are treated. But it's also undeniable that during those times, white women were not were not looked at as especially equal um, or on the same on the same rank as men. So Yeah. And so I I feel that this is why the conversation is important for all of us. Like, this is why I think when white men, when white women look at this topic and and kind of back up and say, well, that's not my story. That's not for me. It's like, no, 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 it is. It is definitely for you. You may not have been a slave, but you were still dealing with issues. Your, your great, great, greats were dealing with issues. And at the end of the day, the way that we teach the way that the way that hospitals were created essentially for teaching right like we need more doctors so let's just have everyone come to the hospital and when you take people like j marion sims who documented that he would come 
and invite his peers in to watch his experiments, come and watch what I'm doing, right? That means he was teaching and that means he was setting a precedent. He was setting a standard that those doctors would go on and teach to other students. And then those doctors would teach to other students. And it trickles down to now out of context, we're asking ourselves, well, why did my white OB do this heinous thing to my black patient, to my black sister, to my black whomever? And out of context, we can't understand it, but it makes so much sense in the context of obstetrics and gynecology being born out of that era of slavery. So once I kind of started weaving this story together and understanding our history a lot more, I just had a moment where, and this was also kind of in conjunction with like my spiritual journey and learning about um, just kind of like energy and our womb and all of these things, I just had a moment where I said to myself, there's no way that this history of slavery and even in the Jim Crow era and how Black women and Black people have been experimented on in all different aspects of medicine, there's no way that that's not having an effect on what's going on right now. It has to be linked. It has to be affecting what's happening. And so all I needed was the scientific language to be able to bridge that gap between our history and our present. And that language came in the form of me understanding epigenetics. So shall we go into that explanation now? We shall. <laughs> okay. So what is epigenetics and, and how does it? Yeah, how does it show up here? Yeah, so just to start off, epigenetics on a really uh, basic level is the understanding or the study of how your genetics and the way that they express themselves can influence your health, influence your body. And it's all about the genes that are expressing themselves, not the actual genes that you have. Um, because we have so much genetic information. And one example that I've heard that kind of helps give a, a mental picture is if you have a deck of cards and you look at the deck of cards from the top, you can't see anything. You can't see where the joker is or the aces or anything like that. But if you pull one card up, pull another card up out of that deck and it it has enough just so you can see it, then that is kind of like the genetic information. You have way too much gen genetic information to express all the time. So your body pretty much has to select what's going to be expressed at the moment. And so different, different things turn those things on. Exactly. And that's what the study of epigenetics has found is that your environment, your emotions, even down to what you eat, what your mother ate when she was pregnant, what your grandmother consumed when she was pregnant. All of these things can turn our genes on or off. And it's really for the purpose of keeping us safe and getting us prepared for the environment that we're going into, mm -hmm. right? So if you're going into an environment that is, um, 
a cold environment. And maybe there's only a certain type of food and the sun is only out for a certain amount of time. Your body wants to be ready for that. So your body will express certain genetic information to kind of prime you for that type of environment. So when we look at Black maternal health, when we look at racism and the history of birth in America, it was a really clear conclusion to me that Black women are already dealing with racism. And we're already dealing with not being listened to and not being cared for properly. But I also think that there's a very real chance that every time a Black woman interfaces with the medical community and the medical system, that she is being epigenetically triggered into a fight-flight mode. And I regardless of what is necessarily happening in that exact moment, right? Like seeing mm-hmm. the white coat and the environment. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Like before a, let's call it air quotes, like a negative experience has occurred, just mm-hmm. the, 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 the genetic turn on of that environment kind yes. of. Yes, exactly. Okay. And there are even, there's even information in studies coming out now that talk about, um, genetic imprinting and genetic memories and how you literally have memories within your physical body, your tissue, your, your DNA. And so I think to have such a traumatic history where for years and years on end, you could not come out of fight or flight mode. You could not relax. And there were certain things that were especially frightening. When you look at the accounts of these black slave women, you will see there were conversations between them. Like, I really don't want to go to that doctor. I really don't want to be sent to that doctor because I may not come back home. It's a known fact. This man is experimenting. He doesn't know what he's doing. I'd rather go to the granny midwife. And they knew that if, if them or if their child went to this experimentational doctor, then they might die. They may not make it back. And so that those memories, they're in our genetic code. They're in our DNA and primarily they're in our womb. And I think, of course, it's there to, to give us information about our environment. And so I think, yes, when you go into the hospital, there is that, that possibility that your body may respond to birth in a way that isn't optimal, in a way that reflects that fear, because you can't get to a a calm state of full health living that way. Right. And it's not necessarily birth, right? It would be the environment, because this is happening in, in prenatal, right? This is happening when women go in and can't get their blood pressure down when they're in the hospital at yep. 36 pregnant. Right. And it like, doesn't make any sense because when they're home, they're fine. Yep. Right. You know, all of this stuff that isn't even necessarily the birth experience. Um, because obviously if you're going in there for birth, you've been navigating the system for months. Right. So you're, so then the birth is like the climax of like the fireworks show of all of this fight or flight unconscious, subconscious survival. And then you're literally placed in a survival situation. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you called it earlier, the the perfect storm. 
Yeah. yeah and what you just said, that quote, um, you said that, that there's reports of women from that time era saying, you know, if I go to the doctor, I might not come back. And I hear women today say that, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, I know many black women in this country who have chosen to free birth because of that, because of saying that if I go, I might not survive and, and having an awareness of this way too high, uh, un, 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 um, of course it's unacceptable. That's like an obvious understatement, but like our, our maternal death rate for all women of all races in this country is way too fucking high. Mm-hmm. So then you add that black women are three to four more times likely to die than white women. And for white women, it's already way too fucking high. You know, I, I know a white woman in, in Utah that just got murdered on the OR table, uh, fifth C-section in a row mm. and bled out and died and left five children, you know, so it's already too high. Yeah. And then you add, and so going back to, to black women I know in our community who understand this and understand that it's already too high. And then for them, it's even fucking higher. What are you to do? How do you, how do you opt out? Which is why I, I am so proud of what we have built with free birth society, because it is one option. It's not the only option, of course, and it's not for everybody. And, you know, no one's pretending it is, but it is one option because I've gotten to personally witness black women come to understand this and opt out. Mm-hmm. And of course, then survive and have powerful, beautiful healing birth experiences. So, talk about the potential to rewrite, right? Like rewrite and recreate or reheal this epigenetic lineage pulsing through your veins, and that you can. Um, what's the right word? Like, I don't know. It might be the wrong language to use, but like, you don't have to be victimized by it, mm-hmm. right? Like, you can. It's not a sentence. I guess yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Cause I don't, my, my, I guess my worry is in this conversation and obviously I'm not a black woman, but I'm just kind of picturing how this would feel to hear this. And, and I, I imagine I would feel a little like, well, fuck. Yes. Like, am, am I just fucked? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's, that's why I had to keep researching and keep sitting with it because it was like with each kind of each, each step I took, I was like, okay, there's another question. And, and that's another question is, are we just kind of destined for this outcome? And I would say the answer is no. And that's where the understanding of epigenetics is so important because it can, we can turn certain genes on and we can turn certain genes off, right? That's the important thing to understand. And I want to, I just want to go back for one minute and clarify that it's not just the, the people who are having the babies who are experiencing this epigenetic situation mm-hmm. is just as much the nurses and the OBs and the midwives, mm-hmm. because if you are living in a white body, then you also have inherited certain, certain, you've learned certain things from a social learning level, but also from a genetic level. And I think one of the most poignant um, explanations of this is given by Dr. Joy DeGray. And during a lecture, she puts a picture up of a lynching. 
And it's like maybe two black bodies hanging from a noose on a tree. And there's all these white people standing around. And then she says, now I want you to look at this picture and I want you to look down here in this corner. And what do you see? You see a little white girl, right? She might be five years old, six years old. And if you go into what is going through this little girl's mind, right? And at some point we have to come to the realization that we were in so many ways, we were in so many ways socialized into accepting things that are brutal and heinous and ridiculous. And it's kind of the murky waters of racism that we don't want to talk about because it's like, well, you have some people who are like, they own their racism and and they're just like, full out don't care but then you have this covert racism that i would say is more of an epigenetic racism a learned racism where you look at that little girl and somebody told her that was okay mm-hmm. somebody told her this is acceptable and someone encouraged her to take part in the festivities go over there and cut off a little toe and take oh. that home with you. These are things that really happen where people were putting fingers and toes and little pieces of bodies from black bodies that were being murdered and using it. And imagine being a little girl in a white home and every day you walk past your fireplace and there's a fucking finger on it from the last person in the community, the last black person in the community that got lynched. Jesus Christ. And so it makes me have to question, it's not just about conscious racism. It's not just about people who will look you in your face and be racist towards you. It's also about people who have inherited these genetic understanding, these memories, these ideas about Black people, um, and how that is impacting the way that they treat Black people and care for Black people. And we're not at the point where I can just ask you, please don't be racist to me. It's a much larger journey than that. You've got to go back in your genes and turn certain things off. So I forgot what what we were segueing into before that, but I just wanted to to make that clear. Because I think sometimes white people get a little offended. Like, I'm not a racist one. I'm not one of the racist ones. But it's like, you don't have to be one of the overt racist ones. The question is, is it in your body? Is it in your body? Yeah. Right. Because it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily imply a conscious feeling or thought of superiority. Exactly. When you look at it from this lens, it's like an inherited I mean, no one who's American born, white, white American born with like multiple generations here gets out of the cultural story that you're describing. Exactly. Right. I mean, I guess not, of course, not every family owned slaves. That's, you know, that's, that's right. absolutely, you know, not every fan, not every community was lynching black people that that's not, that's not accurate. Right. It was. It was specific families in specific parts of the country. Um, but regardless, you know, there's this collective consciousness around it. And obviously it's not just the lynchings, it's the segregation after that. It's the, it's, it's everything. It's, it's the water that we're all, we're all swimming in for multiple generations. And right, it's this inherited 
narrative. And like what I think you're really pointing out is that it can, <clears throat> it can come down to unconscious othering and how that is expressed, right? right. So if it's unconscious othering, which I don't, I don't necessarily think that implicit bias in and of itself is avoidable. Just based on the studies that I've read, it seems like something that everybody does. Oh yeah. Everybody. So it's like, okay, how do we, how do we accept that? We have implicit bias and then take responsibility for it and be conscious enough to observe how it, um, not just observe, but observe and take responsibility for how it is expressed. Right. Cause that was kind of my thought of what you just shared is like, okay, so then what do we do? Like what is, and it's, it's a different answer. I would assume for white people versus, versus black people for black people. How do you turn off the, or, or women specifically, how do you learn to turn off the genetic information that puts you in fight or flight when it's not needed, but there's a strong argument for it. Actually, it probably is needed to some degree exactly. in the hospital, which is why we just go round and round on this. But in terms of, of black white relationships and the implicit bias, you know, how, how do, like for me as a white woman with black women friends, how do I understand my inherited narrative, understand implicit bias, acknowledge it, and then decide consciously how to express it or rather not express it. Right. Like mm -hmm. that, that's mm -hmm. kind of the big, the big question that we as individuals could do our own work on of how it, how does it show up? And, and of course, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't actually personally know anyone who is overtly racist, who's like just open, how, whatever I would describe as like openly, you know, presenting themselves as superior or something like that. Mm -hmm. It, it is, it is this, and like you said, I think it does turn people off to be called a racist because it's, 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 it's not something you're, you can, you're not allowed to deny it, but it also is, um, what's the right word? Like we, I, I guess the whole point is we're broadening the exploration of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you come into conversations like this, you have to be willing to get uncomfortable. You just do. And I, I remember when I was going through, when I was first hearing these stories about, um, J. Marion Sims and, and these black women being tortured and particularly when he was doing things to black babies, I had a oh. very visceral response. I mean, I was like, couldn't eat. I felt like I was going to throw up. I was nauseous. I was just like, I can't, yeah. I can't not feel this in my body. And I think that's a healthy response to finding out about the torture of women and children. Exactly. Exactly. And imagine being in a time period where the healthy response right. was, eh, okay. Yeah. And Don't celebrate that in a knot. Exactly. Exactly. Totally. So I think what it, what a lot of this comes down to, um, for one, I think learning your history is a huge part of it because it didn't start with you, right? This, and that kind of takes, I think the pressure off <laughs> with, both black people and white people is to understand, I'm not pointing at you. I'm pointing at the history that lives within you. I'm pointing at the entire story and the lineage of our entire country. And so kind of taking that first step to not take it personal, but to understand that you did 
born yourself into a body that has a certain story, right? So I think a lot of our healing has to be in the body. And uh, Resma McKinnon, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, the author of My Grandmother's Hands, he does a really great job at explaining how it has to be a practice. We have to continuously commit to sitting down and I'll start with I'll start with black black women and black people. We have to have a practice where we're in relationship with our body and how our body responds to living in a culture that was uh, built on slavery and has racism infused into it. And so that just means kind of start taking note of what your body does in certain instances. Um, this was so pivotal for me because I went to a predominantly white institution for college at PWI and I had really bad anxiety. Hmm. And this was not something that I really experienced beforehand, but looking back, it's like, Oh, that was part of it. I was around nothing but white people 24 seven. I didn't feel seen. I constantly felt othered. Right. I was constantly going through this double consciousness of putting on, you know, uh, trying to be myself, but not too much of my blackness, but like, yeah. And, and that anxiety has an effect on your health, on your physical body. So taking note, um, another thing that I do is I started taking note of how I feel when I'm driving and I see a police car. Mm-hmm. And the first time, the first few times I did it, I was like, oh my fucking God, my heart is pounding. I'm sweating. I'm constantly looking back like, are they are they about to stop me? Are they about to stop someone else? Or if they've already stopped someone and you could really feel this after um, the summer of 2020 when George Floyd was murdered, when you pass a police car that someone has already been stopped and it was like, everyone obviously already slows down, but it feels way different as a black person, when I'm slowing down to see if it's a black person uh-huh. and seeing like, is something fishy going on? Should I pull over and just see what's happening? Hmm. How is that affecting your body? So I think just starting with that, taking, taking note, taking stock throughout the day, but then building a relationship with different aspects of your body for women, especially your womb, getting into the stories of your grandmother and your the people in your maternal line. We likely carry fears that are from our grandmother and our great grandmother that we don't know and we don't understand, but we hear their stories and it's like, oh, that's why I'm afraid of this thing. That's why I'm, you know, have this hesitance when I get around uh, this person or whatever. So then learning how to how to calm yourself and how to allow your body to become a safe place to to live in and making decisions that are in alignment with that. Do I feel safe when I walk into my provider's office? Mm -hmm. What is my body's response? Right. Because if you're used to go up. Exactly. If you're used to, if you are unconsciously used to always being in fight or flight, then you don't have the information in your in your conscious mind that can guide you towards or away from situations. Exactly. Right? 
So if you're always like, if everything is triggered and you're always in this fight or flight, because you haven't, like you're saying, Liv, if you haven't done the work to notice it, identify it, learn how to downregulate, because then the fear, which really is what it is, right? It's like a, it's a heightened fight or flight fear response. If you can actually um, discern not, not living it all the time, but learn how to, how to use it and, and yield it really with, with your, with your own internal, you know, physical wisdom and intuitive wisdom, then it's your guide, right? It's like one of your North star stars because exactly. then when you walk into the OB's office and you notice the sweating and the, and the high blood pressure and the heart racing, you're like, Oh fuck, I know what that is. Mm -hmm. that, you know, but if you're just living in that all the time, fuck. <laughs> like that you can't use that important information. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And even simple things that a lot of a lot of cultures, but I would say because I'm black, I would say a lot of black culture already has infused into it can help you to downregulate. And that's the key. Like at the end of the day, you need to downregulate. Mm -hmm. You need those stress hormones to go down. Don't right. go to bed mm -hmm. and wake up the next day still in that that stressed body. And so things like the very simple humming, taking a few deep breaths, a short meditation, um, even things like just swaying back and forth, like these things that we intuitively do when we're kind of stressed out, make it an intentional practice. Um, and just finding the mindful practices that work for you and integrating them into your daily life so that you can begin to build, um, not build, but just create a body that's a safer place and feels like a safer place to live in. Um, and not that it's just like constantly reacting, yeah. right? Like actually that you're, you are, you have a relationship with it where you know how to, and I was going to say shaking too, right? We know animals after a big adrenaline yes kick, do that spontaneously. But that's something that if you get a big adrenaline dose, you can shake your body afterwards intentionally and move so much of that. And doing this with other black bodies, like coming into circle with people in singing and clapping and humming and owning and doing these things together. Um, it can be really, really powerful. So I think that's kind of a place to start specifically for the the epigenetic mm -hmm. aspect of the issue but I think there's so many other things that we can look at as far as like well what about actual racism what about white bodies what about um the other things that impact our health for example like black women are like 25 percent more likely to have really harmful chemicals in their hair products and cosmetic products and it won't be on the label. So even just having the conversation of, it's not just about meditating and down-regulating, it's also about you're more likely to have endocrine disrupting chemicals in your body, which is gonna throw off your hormones and that potentially throw off your pregnancy and your birth. And how can we start addressing that? Um, and that's a big, a big passion of mine as well is just, bringing that attention to, to black women, because we do spend like so much money. When you look at the actual market, we spend so much money on hair products and cosmetics and things like that. Yet we're getting kind of the worst of the worst when it comes to chemicals. 
and how that can impact us as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a puzzle. Mm-hmm. And those things, again, because if there's any Black women listening, I really want them to hear this part. There's certain chemicals within like hair relaxers and texturizers that are specifically linked to low birth weight babies and pre- preterm birth. And those two issues are one of the biggest issues that we're facing in the Black community, especially in relation to Black maternal mortality and Black infant mortality. Wow. So do you offer any sort of alternative products? Honestly, I just tell people like, if you trust the brand and you can turn over the label and you can identify what's on the label, cool, but just use actual real substances, like use oils that you can Mm -hmm. just go and mix up your own conditioner and use butters that you can mix up your own stuff with. But it's also an inner journey, right? Because this is also heavily related and it's all, it all links back to the same things because our hair and the way that we look is heavily um, linked back to what we were supposed to look like, how we were supposed to assimilate how we were supposed to straighten our hair to to look more European. So for me to say, uh, you need to stop putting that relaxer in your hair because it's linked to preterm birth and low birth weight babies. I'm also saying you need to let go of the years and years and years that your ancestors were told they had to look a certain way in order to be, you know, suitable for this job or that opportunity. And that's a big thing to let go of, especially when it's still perpetuating itself. Exactly. It's, it's not, not like it's just historical. Right. Yeah. It's still current. It's here. Mm-hmm. So yeah. 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 There's a lot to that. There's the food aspect with GMOs. There's it's just so much to it. Mm-hmm. Birth control. Yeah. But these are kind of the, the places that I hone into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you know, if, if, if we, if, if there's the first, if first there's the practice in, in your own nervous system, right. That you can step out of fight or flight. And when you go into fight or flight, you know, how to, how to integrate it and how to bring it down. I mean, if that, that's the first step that leads really to everything else, because it's really hard to take on the world. If you are under-resourced internally, right? If you're in constant survival mode, it is unrealistic that you will have the internal resources to also figure out every single part of this. It's just so much. You're just going to go more into overwhelm because it's, it is so complex and there is so much to detangle, right? But, but that first part is, is actually a practice of resourcing yourself internally and no one can take that away from you, right? So once, once, anyone has that, I feel like I imagine, and I, I've seen this in you, like the, the spaciousness starts to be there where you actually have the internal resources to consider all this stuff and unpack it and articulate it and mm-hmm. teach it, share it, right? So it does start with that initial stuff. Yeah. And like you said earlier, it allows room for the intuition to come in a lot stronger. 
And I know that for me and a lot of other women that I've worked with, it's like once they get, because again, I could have, I could be working with a, a mother who is doing all the right things. She's eating right. She's exercising. She's, you know, she's ticking off all the boxes, but she still has high blood pressure. And right. she, she's still like, stressed the fuck out. She's 25 years yeah. old. This doesn't make sense. And if, exactly. This is where we can start. And then we start from there and expand. And all of a sudden you don't really need to do a bunch of research. You just pick up that, you know, product off the shelf. And in one day you're like, yeah, this is not sitting right with mm-hmm. me anymore. This isn't feeling right anymore. I mean, there's probably something to be said that if, if you were completely downregulated and out of, and by you, I mean, anyone out, out of stress, there's probably something to be safe said for that. You, your body actually could handle more toxins or more, not that I'm promoting that, but you know what I mean? Like if you, I like, if you, if, if, if a body wasn't living in stress, it's capacity for what it can process and filter and handle and input output is going to be increased. Yeah. And this is what I I think about. This is what I think about when it comes to birth and pregnancy, how some people will look at pregnancy and say, it's kind of a test like of how, how strong your body is, how healthy you are, because it, it does have some degree of stress on the body. And if you're living in an already super duper stressed body, it's right. going to show that's going to be the breaking point. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope this was lots of good food for thought for everybody. I know we could keep going and going and going. Um, anything in particular before you give your, your, um, references for how people can find you anything in particular for honoring this week of black maternal health in this week. And uh, yeah, anything like particular you want to say about that, or, um, I I do want you to, to drop your own workshops, but anywhere that you want to direct anyone, or if someone is inspired to contribute financially somewhere, um, or to bring anyone's attention to specifically for this week? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So first I would say like kind of in closing, I think I have to say this after I talk about this with anyone and have this conversation with anyone is like moving into your next phase of healing or journeying for the people that are listening to this. Just remembering that, like I said earlier, it doesn't start with you. It didn't start with you. And so understanding that Although you're on your own personal journey and you're you're wanting to heal yourself and bring more wholeness to your experience, um, there's definitely so many components. And I want people to know that I definitely see how the system is a huge part of the issue and that there's no amount of fixing you can do to yourself living in a black body. You step into that fucked up system it's likely going to fuck you over mm-hmm. and just keeping that like very clear as my stance. I really it's believe- built to fuck you over. Exactly. Exactly. And if I'm- it doesn't, you got lucky. Yeah. And I, I don't want people to feel like I'm kind of giving the pass to hospitals and, and OBs mm-hmm. and things of that nature, because I, I have a hard time kind of even saying the idea of like, holding hospitals and OBs and nurses and all that accountable because they're, they're like you said, they're doing what the system intended 
to do and what the system intended them to do. And so we can only do our own work, right. And like, let that influence inward from outward. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I do. I do want to definitely share about my stuff, but I can't say off the top of my head that I have anyone specific as far as like donations or funding. I do definitely say if you're in the DC or Maryland area, check out Mama Toto Village, um, whether you are looking for support during your pregnancy or if you are looking to become a birth worker and be in community with other black birth workers. Um, But yeah, during my workshop, during Black Maternal Health Week, I'll definitely be giving resources on where people can go for more information. But I also would just point out the fact that if people are interested in like sharing resources or donating or funding, like build a relationship with those people. Um, Don't feel like just throwing money at organizations is the best thing to do or the most helpful, like really get to know them because again, we're all on a journey. We're all healing and money is needed. Yes. But healing is also needed. So be in relationship. So yeah. Um, I can be found on Instagram at her holistic path. Um, I will be having a workshop April 11th through the 17th. And that workshop will also repeat about a month, um, about two to four weeks later. And we're going to be getting into this very topic, Black maternal health, maternal mortality, um, understanding the history of birth, epigenetics, solutions. And we're going to work through some of the big feelings that are going to come up inevitably, both for Black people and white people. We're going to work through that in real time. We're going to talk about holistic ways to um, prepare yourself for pregnancy and birth. I know we didn't get into it that much, but I am a big believer in how free birth is a part of this solution. It's not the answer to everyone, but a lot of Black women can have healthy, beautiful, amazing free births, and their outcomes will literally be better than going to the hospital. So we're going to talk about different solutions and, and ways to um, holistically prepare yourself for you know, a healthy experience. And your website is herholisticpath.com. And you have a podcast. I do. <laughs> come on, girl. Talk about yourself. <laughs> I know. You're like, come on, say it. Say the rest. Say more. Say and, more. and also, yes, you say more. Talk about your podcast, but because it, it, it's so great. But also, um, who is this workshop for? Who is Who do you want to come take this workshop? Yeah, so this workshop is for families who are preparing to welcome a baby in. This workshop is definitely for birth workers, whether you consider yourself to be a doula, a midwife, if you're an OB, if you're a nurse, you work within the realm of pregnancy and birth, it is for you. And it is definitely for Black people and for white people. We're going to be, like I said, we're going to be exploring what does it mean to have racism living within your body, what are exercises we can do to start exploring that? And I think in the future, we will have some iterations that are specifically for certain groups of people. But for now, we're, we're doing it all together for everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome. And your podcast? Yes. 
So my podcast is also Everything is Her Holistic Path. Okay. And currently I have five episodes up there talking about mostly holistic birth. That's where my passion is. Um, but also the more spiritual and energetic side of becoming a mother and going through pregnancy and birth. I really am into the spirit science. So that's what's going on over there. Yep. And then there's an exclusive version of the podcast with extended episodes, bonus content on Patreon. Oh, I didn't know you were doing a Patreon. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right, cool. Well, I'm just so proud of you. And it's just been such a, a pleasure to get to know you in this past year. And I loved having you in the school. And I'm just so proud of everything you're doing. And I have a lot of respect for it. And yeah, thank you for your time. Thank you. It's been good. <laughs> It's been good. It's been good. <laughs> And that's it for today, my sisters. Check out everything we do, including one-on-one -on -one and group coaching, learn about our private membership, in-person retreats, and more on freebirthsociety.com. Our online courses are on freebirthsocietycourses.com, including our flagship course, The Complete Guide to Free Birth. Don't miss the Radical Birthkeeper School if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for. Together we rise and the revolution starts inside each of us. Our opening song is by Shyla Ray. And now I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honored. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralyzing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts, keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear. We choose love. Everything with intention. Death, ascension. I will fly and bring her back from the stars. Conscious, conscious.